0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of, edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 15, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, February thirteenth, is 7326. That's 7326. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 2 came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. In step one, we found complete despair, powerlessness. All of us have come to this program as a result of the constant frustration and constant defeat and pain we experienced compulsively overeating. We've accepted that anything that comes from our own resources, will, effort, Philosophy, morality, goals, or good intentions won't solve our problem. Our human resources simply aren't sufficient. The point is we can't find a solution that works until we give up on our solutions that aren't working. In step two, we will find hope. A power greater than ourselves will restore us to sanity. Step two only requires that we be willing to try to find our higher power. Our willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves is enough to start the process of working the 12 steps. What follows as we proceed through the steps is a process that will bring this power into our lives and restore us to sanity. This morning, a vision for you brings to life Step two: in the pages of the AA12 12 and 12 through the voices and experiences of 11 recovered compulsive overeaters. This morning, we welcome the following recovered compulsive overeaters: Joe M. from Minnesota, Terry H. from Maine, Scott K. from New York, Becca W., Maryland, Sally A from New Jersey, Janice M from Massachusetts, Larry K. from Illinois, Chelsea H. from New Jersey, Deb W., Oklahoma, Devoer S., New Jersey, and Sharon R.S., Minnesota. And let's get started with our first speaker this morning, Joe M. Welcome Joe.
1: Good morning, Leah, and good morning, Vision for You. My name is Joe. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. So, step two on page 25 of the AA 12 and 12 says this Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The moment they read step two, most AA newcomers are confronted with a dilemma, sometimes a serious one. How often have we heard them cry out, Look what you people have done to us! You have convinced us that we are alcoholics and that our lives are unmanageable. Having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness, you now declare that none but a higher power can remove our obsession. Some of us won't believe in God, others can't, and still others who do believe that God exists have no faith whatever he will perform this miracle. Yes, you've got us over the barrel all right, but where do we go from here? Let's look first at the case of the one who says he won't believe, the belligerent one. He is in a state of mind which can be described only as savage. His whole philosophy of life, in which he so gloried, is threatened. It's bad enough, he thinks, to admit alcohol has him down for keeps. But now, still smarting from that admission, he is faced with something really impossible. How he does cherish the thought that man, risen so majestically from a single cell in the primordial ooze, is the spearhead of evolution and therefore the only God that his universe knows— must he renounce all this to save himself? I used to weigh two hundred and fifty four pounds, and I was eating into oblivion almost every day. I had morbid obesity, mental anguish, social anxiety I was really in really a mess. When I came into Over Anonymous, I had a belief system, and I was very tied to it. And I didn't know at the time how much my belief system was tied in with my eating, but it was. And I was so tied into this belief system that I can even say that I worshipped it. And this belief system was made up of ideas that I held to at my core, such as I can figure a problem out. If I think about it hard enough and long enough, I can apply my willpower to any solution and triumph over it. I'm smarter than most people. Uh, I'm not going to admit that I need help because that makes me weak. So when I see these words, came to believe in a power greater than myself, um, can restore me to sanity, I'm being asked to reconsider my long-held and deeply held beliefs. Most AA newcomers are confronted with a dilemma, sometimes a serious one. Why I was confronted with a dilemma? Am I going to give up my own way of thinking? Am I going to step out of that seeming comfort zone I was so familiar with? Am I going to take a risk and open my mind to an alternative way of thinking? And this was a huge mental and spiritual task that I was being asked to take. I knew I was in great pain over my eating, and I knew I was powerless over food, but now I was faced with this question of whether I would let go of my iron grip on my own belief system and come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Um, I really like that they use the word "sanity in this step, because my mental state in my act of addiction could not be seen in any way as sane. Sanity is a strong word, and for me, it needs to be, because my addiction is strong. It's very powerful, so I need powerful language to grab onto. And I love that it says it will restore me because that means I had sanity at one point and then I lost it. So the language of the step reflects that I was born sane and a power greater than myself can restore me to that condition, can return me to that condition. I actually think the language of the step is very loving. But for me, my experience was on the one hand, I did feel threatened by step two. And then on the other hand, I felt comforted by it. Yes, you've got us over the barrel, all right, but where do we go from here? Where do I go from here? This place of powerlessness is not sustainable. I have to channel that energy now because if I admit my powerlessness, I have to have something to fall into, somewhere to go, because my defense mechanisms have been taken away. And this is why abstinence alone after an admission of powerlessness is not sustainable. The addiction is just too strong. Look at what you people have done to us. I had a lot of anger in OA at the thought of coming to believe in a power greater than myself at first. I looked at you as being the guilty party for telling me what I had to do to get well. And I had to stick with OA long enough until my anger died down, and I was ready to do what was required for my recovery because my suffering had been great enough and deep enough that it now got my attention. Some of us won't believe, others can't, still others have no faith. Well, I was someone who both would not believe and someone who had no faith. I had had experiences early in my life that led me to believe there is no power greater than myself that's on my side, because if it were on my side, um, I would not have had these difficult early experiences. And so I decided I was not going to be betrayed by some energy um, that I thought had let me down the only God that his universe knows. Um, I had rejected the notion of a power greater than myself, I think, for a great deal of my life, and had replaced it with an isolated inner power that, in my mind, was all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-powerful. But I had to face the fact that had my all-knowing, all-seeing, and all-powerful inner God c- could not and did not save me from the hell of compulsive overeating, So I had to get to the point of being in the dilemma that they talk about. Do I stay with my current thinking, in which I so glory, but which has failed me? Or do I take a huge risk and come to believe that a power greater than myself, some source of energy greater than me, can restore me to sanity? So I had to take a step back and look at these two options. And frankly, I think it was very positive to be in that dilemma, to even have the dilemma in the first place. Because that meant I had... Two options rather than just one. I came to the rooms of OA with only one possible way to think, and now I was given another choice. And had I not been first in the dilemma, I wouldn't have had the option of choosing that second way of thinking. And the most important reality for me in all of this was the one essential fact I wanted sanity if a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, that gave me the opportunity to be conscious of the fact that that's in fact what I wanted. I came to a out of a place of insanity. And when you told me a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, you gave me the opportunity to consider that something else was possible. You're promising me sanity. I want it. I'm in pain over my current insane mind, and I hunger to be saved from that. And because I wanted sanity, I was willing to go through the discomfort of being in the dilemma and then move forward and come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Joe M. I now welcome Terry H. to the line.
2: Good morning, a vision for you. My name is Terry H. I'm a recovered compulsive vote reader for Maine, and I'm going to read page 26. At this juncture, his A sponsor usually laughs. The newcomer thinks, it's just about the last straw. This is the beginning of the end, and so it is, the beginning of the end of his old life and the beginning of his emergence into a new one. His sponsor probably says, take it easy. The hoop you have to go through is a lot wider than you think. At least I found it so. So did a friend of mine who was a one-time vice president of the American Atheist Society, but he got through with room to spare. Well, says the newcomer, I know you're telling me the truth. It's no doubt a fact that AA is full of people who once believed as I do. But just how in these circumstances does a fellow take it easy? That's what I want to know. That agrees the sponsor is a very good question indeed. I think I can tell you exactly how to relax. You won't have to work at it very hard either. Listen if you will, to these three statements. First, Alcoholics Anonymous does not demand that you believe anything. All of its 12 steps are but suggestions. Second, to get abstinent, to get sober, and to stay sober, you don't have to swallow all the steps you right now. Looking back, I find that I took that piece now myself. Third, all you really need is a truly open mind. Just resign from the debating society and quit bothering yourself with such deep questions as whether it was the hen or the egg that came first. Again, i say all you need is an open mind. And I'm so grateful to be sharing my experience with you this morning on step two. Um, these three paragraphs that I just read on page um, 26 really bring me right back to being that newcomer and what it was like for me when I came into overuse Anonymous. Um, and I can tell you that it took me a long time to get here um, I call these three statements the beginning of hope. And it was really comforting um, to know that one, Overeaters as an did not demand that I believe anything, that the 12 steps were but suggestions. Two, to get absent and to stay absent, I didn't have to swallow all of step two right then. And three, all I really needed was a truly open mind to begin. Step two says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It was put Put to me, real simple, in a simple form for me that step two meant. There's a power that wants me to live.
3: When I arrived at
2: this, when I arrived at this point with my sponsor, I, I just remembering um, having, you know, lots of fear and doubt of the unknown, um, what it was supposed to look like, um, thinking it might not work because I had tried everything but this. And she would often remind me just to breathe and come in for a landing. And that step two is just a starting point of letting go of my thinking and um, letting go, you know, of, of the fear. That all step two was just, all it was was just preparing me to look in a different direction, a direction of hope, in a direction of being restored back to sanity. And what I've learned, the difference of being insane and having insanity, that being insane is the inability to see the truth and my sanity was the ability to see my see the truth, and that the truth would set me free, so I just want to um tie in you know in we agnostics, it says in the preceding chapters, you know we've learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made the distinction between the alcoholic and the non alcoholic if when you honestly want to, you find you to not quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control of the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only experience will conquer. Let me repeat the last part. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So I knew at this point that um, I had answered both yes to these questions. You know, if when honestly I wanted to, could I fit, could I quit entirely? Or when drinking, did I have a little control of the amount I took, took? that I was probably you know, compulsive overeater, and um, I knew I had this thing, you know, um, the allergy of the body and and the obsession of the mind. So step one, reaffirmed my powerlessness, and I could see my insanity of repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I remember pointing out to my sponsor the reading on this page in the 12 and 12 where it says, the 12 steps are but a suggestion. You know, I pointed that out to her, and she would just give me that old sponsor smile, and say, yes, Terry. the 12 steps are but suggestions. She said, I have some good news, and I have some bad news for you, Terry. The good news is, yes, you're right, the 12 steps are but suggestions. The bad news is they're the only suggestions we've got. That was a new concept for me. On page 46, it says, in the big book, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So I had to ask myself, what were some of my prejudices? What were some of my old ideas that I could I could set aside and begin to bring in new, new ideas for an open mind, to jump through the hoop of hope? Some of my old ideas looked like that the program wouldn't work for me. Could I replace this this old idea with a new idea, believing that you weren't lying and it could work for me too? Another old idea, that food and weight were my problem. Could I replace that old idea with this idea, that a power in the steps were my solution? Another old idea, that it was a me program. Maybe this new idea, that it was a we program, that we read the big book together, we take the 12 steps together, and we recover together. Another old idea that I had, I had the old idea that I had to get good to go to God. How about this new idea? I just had to go. On page 568 in Spiritual Experience, it tells what will happen if I keep an open mind. It says, most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one needs to have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-minded are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. So for me, as I continued my journey, you know, my belief grows as I stayed open-minded. I'm so grateful that Step 2 gave me the hope to the possibilities that I could jump through the hoop with the hope it could be different this time. The words that came next from my sponsor was, Terry, let's try the experience and argue the results later. Then came that one short question. Do I now believe or even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? My answer was yes. If lack of power was my dilemma, could it be with this power, no dilemma? Hitting bottom opened my mind and I became willing to try something different. I was willing and ready for step two. Thank you, God, that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step in our path.
0: Thank you, Terry H. I now welcome Scott K.
4: Am I on? Yes. Oh, sorry, I didn't know if I heard silence. Uh, My name is, hey, everybody, my name is Scotty, gratefully recovered compulsive operator from New York City. Uh, Reading the bottom of 26, top of page 27, the sponsor continues, take my... Excuse me, take for example my own case. I had scientific schooling. Naturally, I respected, venerated, and even worshiped science. As a matter of fact, I still do, all except the worship part. Time after time, my instructors held up for me in basic principle all the scientific progress, search and research, again and again, always with an open mind. When I first looked at AA, my reaction was just like yours. This AA business, I thought, is totally unscientific. "'This I can't swallow. "'I simply won't consider such nonsense.' "'Then I woke up. "'I had to admit that AA showed results, "'prodigious results. "'I saw that my own attitude regarding these "'had not been anything but scientific. "'It wasn't AA that had a closed mind. "'It was me. "'The minute I stopped arguing, "'I could believe, see, and feel right there. "'Step two, gently and very gradually,' began to infiltrate my life i can't say i i can't say upon what occasion or upon what day i came to believe in a power greater than myself but i certainly have that belief now to acquire it i only had to stop fighting and practice the rest of aa's program as enthusiastically as i could so for me these these couple of paragraphs and pardon my voice um little horse uh these two paragraphs this scream um herbert spencer's quote on page 568 in the second appendix and spiritual solution contempt prior to investigation um and for me I, I learned that contempt is basically a two-syllable word for fear and because again we go through agnostics in the big book and over and over again it talks about how uh, the press didn't show the wright brothers flight uh, for a year and and just christopher columbus was was just put down as far as his, his belief that the world was round, and all sorts of other things. And we know that, that witches were burned at the stake, and we know that all these other things in our history have all been done out of fear, um, out, of, out of contempt. And when I first came into program, or, or at least came in, yeah, excuse me, when I first came into program, I, I saw all these people, incredibly serene incredibly lovely and just talking about their lives in such different incredible ways and not all of them were thin and not all of them were heavy I was the heaviest person in the room and I just looked around and and I just saw wow this thing is working for them but then I looked at the wall and I saw those 12 steps and it freaked me out and I saw that six of those 12 steps talk about God or him or or a power greater than ourselves and you know, it, it took, it took um, patience from a sponsor. It took a lot of things. But it also took, for me, the, the willingness. You know, the patience from a sponsor part is all right, Scott, we'll just keep trying, keep trying, keep going, doing this and doing that until he told me to start. You know, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you talk and go to meetings and, and just listen to people talking about their relationship with God and ask other people this and how they got it. And it took me to get past my fear because when I came into program, I was running from God. I, I had that emotional, that religious baggage on coming into program, and and I was just a mess. I was afraid, and I just knew that I was going to hell from all the sinning that I did from from my religious stuff, religious training. And when I came into this program and saw that that these steps are based on God, and and, and even when reading the Big Book. Uh, or, or even any any book in our program, it, it it just focuses a lot on on relying on something other than ourselves. And I had relied on myself my whole life, and guess where it got me? I mean, 500 pounds. It got me. The the key for me was to really take a look at at what I was doing, and realize also that. I need to get past my own fear and I started going to meetings and I found somebody really just talk about their higher power and, and I just went up to him afterwards and told him, wow, how did you do that? How, you know, when did this come to you? And I really, I kind of borrowed his higher power for a while until I made it my own. And, and it did take a long time, but it worked out. You know, this, this reading that I did also talks a little bit about the scientific upbringing from the sponsor and with the scientific upbringing, you know, Bill talks about it in, in his story on pages 10 and 11. And, and of course, uh, we agnostics touches on it, uh, through, through it and, and, science and, and, and the proposition of lunar flight. And, you know, of course, 30 years before we landed on the moon and, and all these other things that, that they talk about. And it, it's just so amazing that, um, that they were able to recover and I was able to listen to other people in program and and they were able to recover so I just thought wow well, if they can do it I can do it and so I started slow and I figured it out and now when I work with sponsees I tell them I tell them my story I remind them of what I went through with with the idea of something greater than me and and I just told them you don't have to believe in any sort of deity or any sort of anything you just need to believe in something that's not you it just needs to be not you and I, because i realized that for me selfishness just just pushed me in life it just was a propulsion it's what got me into everything got me doing everything and of course what eventually almost killed me so um that's really it for for the most part i i just i'm grateful for the opportunity and um with that i'm going to pass
0: Thank you, Scott K. I I now welcome Becca W. to the line.
5: Good morning, everyone. This is Becca W., gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. We are on page 27 in about the middle. This is only one man's opinion, based on his own experience, of course. I must quickly assure you that AAs tread innumerable paths in their quest for faith. If you don't care for the one I've suggested, you'll be sure to discover one that suits if only you look and listen. Many a man like you has begun to solve the problem by the method of substitution. You can, if you wish, make AA itself your higher power. Here's a very large group of people who have solved their alcohol problem. In this respect, they are certainly a power greater than you, who have not even come close to a solution. Surely you can have faith in them. Even this minimum of faith will be enough. You will find many members who have crossed the threshold just this way. All of them will tell you, once across, their faith broadened and deepened. Relieved of the alcohol obsession, their lives unaccountably transformed. They came to believe in a higher power, and most of them began to talk of God. Consider next the plight of those who once had faith but have lost it. There will be those who have drifted into indifference. Those filled with self-sufficiency who have cut themselves off, those who have become prejudiced against religion, and those who are downright defiant because God has failed to fulfill their demands, can AA experience tell all these? They may still find a faith that works. Wow, this is such a wonderful reading. Um, it makes me um, it makes me really hone in on the threshold. So, what is the threshold for me? That means the steps when we do the steps and we come out on the other side, you know, as the big book tells us, we we will have a spiritual awakening. Now, at the back, um, as some have referenced already, spiritual experience, page 567 in the big book, um, you know, they someone told me they, they wrote this because people were writing in saying, I, I'm not having one. What's going on here? And um, in the big book, we know that you know, Bill says, look, it can happen like a lightning bolt or it can happen over time. And, you know, step twelve says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And they talk about the steps, they reference it three times right in that um, right in that one step. So what is this telling us? Practice carrying the spiritual awakening. So, you know, when we think about that, what's the difference? We hear the word spiritual experience, but then we hear spiritual awakening. And for me, there's a clear difference between the two. And I can illustrate a spiritual experience that I had before coming into program. Um, when I um, when I was training for a 5K one day and... Um, there were these beautiful woods near my house and there were like these three reservoirs and um, you could make your way from the parking lot through these through this wooded path um, and then end up near the reservoirs. And they had like these service roads that went around the reservoir that was cleared of trees and people would bike and jog and everything there. So I was um, listening to music and I decided that one song I would jog and one song I would walk. And so I was, I was doing this until I got to this um, beautiful clearing and there was this large rock that overlooked the water and the water was crystallized. And um, it was at night after work, so the sun was starting to go down, but the water just looked so beautiful and I did this stretch and this wind that wasn't a wind came, came at me and through my body and just then the song changed and I, and I was about to jog. So I'm jogging around these reservoirs and the song changed again, and I was supposed to walk, but I had such energy that I just kept going. And before I knew it, it was getting darker and darker and darker. And I started looking for my path back to my car, and I couldn't find it. And now, just like, I, I couldn't believe it, but it was it was almost totally dark where I couldn't even see the ground in front of me. And I, I got instilled this this feeling that I needed to reach out to something that was greater than myself. And at this point, I, you know, I was brought up religious, but I abandoned that as a young adult because it didn't resonate with me. And I did. I believed in the wind and the trees and the universe. And so I looked up to the sky as I'm jogging and I said, please, please help me. Please, I don't know what to do. And I got this thought that I need to call out, help, I'm lost help, I'm lost. And I was chanting that as I was running. And I started visualizing someone coming out of the woods to help save me. And now it's totally pitch dark, and I can't see a thing. But I come to this crossroads. And this man came out of the woods out of nowhere. And he's laughing. And I said, Oh, my God, thank God, why are you laughing? And he said, Oh, I was over on this other part. But I heard you, I figured I'd save you. Well, he did save me that night, and he was like an angel. He got me back to my car, and I turned around to thank him, and he was gone. There was no sign of him. So what was that? For me, that was a spiritual experience, a strong spiritual experience. And it changed my whole life. I actually moved to a different state. I got a new job. I broke up with my boyfriend. My whole entire life changed. But what didn't change? I didn't change inside. And so when I would think about that power, I would get so scared because I couldn't make sense of it. I didn't know what it was, and it terrified me. I never wanted to get lost in the woods again. I never wanted to tap into that power again. I was so in fear. And so when I got up to 255 pounds, And my life was miserable and I was deflated, completely deflated and I had nowhere else to turn and I walked into the rooms of um, OA. You know, it, it took me like a month or two to realize that the steps were on the wall and that they related to me and that I could actually start them with a sponsor. But once I did, and honestly, once I started listening to A Vision for You and I heard other recovered compulsive overeaters that, you know, we can get rid of this hopeless state of mind and body consuming our brains and causing us to eat and be face down in the food. When I heard that hope, I I knew that I could do these steps and I knew that I could work toward a spiritual awakening. So the difference for me between that very significant event in my life and then coming across the threshold was doing the work in the steps, and we have to, you know, connect to a God in the first steps one, two, and three. That's our spiritual dimension. We have to connect to something greater than ourselves, whatever we want to call it. Today, the wind in the trees is still part of the God that I that's personal to me, but my God is very much more than just the wind in the trees. And so when I got to the action steps four through seven, I had that power. I was finally tapping into that. I wasn't afraid anymore to tap into that power, and it started running through me. And so I was able to power through steps four through seven all that difficult work that I had to do, that mental dimension that I had to rearrange my thinking. And when I got into eight and nine, I was a different person. I was reorganized. And now that power is not just around me and I'm not just touching my finger to it, but it's starting to run through me and fill me up so that when I repair relationships and and make new ones in steps eight and nine, I end up. I end up transforming my entire life into this world that's so beautiful. And I come into 10, 11, and 12, and now I'm living in this world, and I'm carrying this message. So to go back to step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, I can do that today, and I can do that today because I've had a spiritual awakening. So that's the difference between the two. Along the way, you may find that you're having spiritual experiences that may add up to that spiritual awakening. Keep pushing through, keep working hard, because if it can work for me, and and the weight doesn't even matter anymore, but 100 pounds of my weight is gone now, and that was all God. I turned it over to God, and I'm physically and mentally and spiritually a new person, completely transformed. With that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Becca W. And now now welcome Sally A. to the line.
6: Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Edition for you. It's Sally A., a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Sometimes AA comes harder to those who have lost or rejected faith than to those who never had any faith at all, for they think they have tried faith and found it wanting. They have tried the way of faith, and the way of no faith, since both ways have proved bitterly disappointing, they have concluded there is no place whatever for them to go. The roadblocks of indifference, fancied self-sufficiency, prejudice, and defiance often prove more solid and formidable for these people than any erected by the unconvinced agnostic or even the militant Atheist. Religion says the existence of God can be proved. The agnostic says it can't be proved, and the atheist claims proof of the non-existence of God. Obviously, the dilemma of the wanderer from faith is that of profound confusion. He thinks himself lost to the comfort of any conviction at all. He cannot attain in even a small degree assurance of the believer the agnostic or the atheist he is the bewildered one again I'm Sally a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey and my experience is that I was the wanderer I was the confused I was the lost I was the bewildered I was in OA for 30 years For 30 years, I walked around carrying this badge of courage that I've been in O.A., and I walked around with this strong perspective of, I know, I've done that. I know, I've done that. I know, I've already done that. When
7: they talk... Sally, star one to unmute. I'm
6: back. When I walked around and I had this this attitude, which really was born of my ego, and, and I want to draw your attention to page 93 in the big book because this really describes me perfectly as the the wanderer, the lost, the confused, and the bewildered. Here on page 93 at the bottom, it says your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he is going to wonder, how can you add anything to what he Here's here's the key. Already knows. I walked around. I already know, and I lived in a state for 30 years in O.A. of I know. I've already.
7: Sally, star one to unmute.
6: Oh my, I'm not sure what's going on with my phone. So let me be brief. I I did have this perspective. It was born of my ego, but it was also born of a very close mind. I was so sure that I had step one, two, and three in my back pocket. I had a relationship with a higher power. So, gee whiz, let's get straight to the hard stuff. Let's go to step four. I was ever pushing my sponsors to get me to step four because I was so confident that I had step one, two, and three in my back pocket. And I didn't. I didn't have it in my back pocket at all. In fact, we saw here this this key that was spoken of, of quite a few keys, but on page 27, it says here, um, to acquire it, I had to only stop fighting and practice the rest of AA's program. That was number one in the middle of the page. And then it said, if only you look and listen. If only I would have listened. If only I would have opened my mind. If only I would have opened my hand in surrender and believed that something was wrong. And it wasn't wrong with OA. It was that something was wrong with my faith, as it tells us on the bottom of page 93. That I had to set aside what I think what I thought, especially what I thought I know, and once and for all open my hands in a surrendered action and be willing and open-minded that perhaps, just perhaps, I'm not listening, and that's what I had to do. Thanks for letting me share. our will
0: Thank you very much, Sally A. I now welcome Janice M. to the line.
8: Well, thank you, Leah, for your service. And my name is Janice M. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. And I'm going to be reading at the last paragraph on page 28 to the after the first paragraph on 29. Any number of AAs can say to the drifter, Yes, we were diverted from our childhood faith too. The overconfidence of youth was too much for mm-hmm. us. Of course, We were glad that good home and religious training had given us certain values. We were still sure that we ought to be fairly honest, tolerant, and just, that we ought to be ambitious and hardworking. We we became convinced that such simple rules of fair play and decency would be enough. As material success founded upon no more than these ordinary attributes became to come to us, we felt we were winning at the game of life. This was exhilarating, and it made us happy. Why should we be bothered with theological abstractions and religious duties or with the state of our souls here or hereafter? The here and now was good enough for us. The will To win would carry us through, but then alcohol began to have its way with us. Finally, when all our scorecards read zero and we saw that one more strike would put us out of the game forever, we had to look for our lost faith. It was an AA that we discovered it, and so can you. Yes, again, you know, <laughs> a number of us in AA were drifters. We didn't know, I mean, for myself, I didn't know where I belonged. I really didn't, because I had faith once, and then I lost it. Then, you know, things, circumstances, I was so confident in my youth. I thought that, you know, I believed in a power, my own power, because, see, I was disappointed in my, in my early childhood and childhood from the first power that I had, who was my mother and dad and um you know i I couldn't trust them i couldn't trust the family so and then of course you know um i would we would have a bakery and i lived right across from this big cathedral and they had crutches there that people you know had uh, uh, miracles formed and they left the crutches there as a sign of a power of a god in their life and um Then they would come into the bakery, and they would be coming in at five o'clock in the morning, hungover, and I would see this, and then they would gossip, and they would say this and that, and they would use you know language that wasn't you know appropriate, and I and I said, gee, they're just coming from church, and they're doing that, so my distorted ideas was very very confusing, because here here they are religious people, and um, I had an overdose of religious education. Yeah, I, um, you know, I had a good home to an extent, and I said an overdose of religious training, and they did teach us certain things, but they also, um, I remember the fear that they instilled in us, and there was a lot of fear, and if you didn't do this, that you would go to hell and all that sort of thing. Yeah, you had to be honest and tolerant and just, but it was fairly, it wasn't, you know, that really wasn't my goal in life. My goal was I had to, I listened to my dad in it who was in business and my mother that you had to be ambitious, you had to be hardworking, so that instilled in my mind, or I instilled in my own mind that that's what I had to do. I had to be self reliant. I had to be self sufficient because that was the goal in life. The goal was to be successful. The goal was to be to have prestige. The goal was to, to fulfill my desires and accomplishments because I'd be nothing if I didn't do that. So all these things went well, but they were temporary. You see, um, I had this. I married success. I had a business. Um, I had a home. But something was wrong something was missing. I was getting fatter and fatter and fatter and my values were going deteriorating as fast as as my weight went on. And um you know, it was, it things weren't working for me anymore. My desires, my accomplishments, they didn't work for me because it was all about me. Uh, that was my higher power was me myself and I. Because, you know, I, I, I figured, you know, I used to send my higher power on an errands to do this. If you do this, then I'll do this, you know. And um, it didn't work out that way. Uh, <laughs> but it was my desires, what I wanted, not what, you know, and what I wanted took over. My disease allowed me to have, to be a block. Before this higher power and you know i just want to read that this particular step is just so simple 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 came to believe that a power it doesn't say anything at this stage on who to believe in what the power is that a power doesn't say we came to believe in a power you get a power and it's not going to be me. See, that was the holy thing. I, the, the thing I tried for years coming into a, uh, OA, um, you know, in 82. Then I started having a gambling problem because, you know, it was success. It was money. It was greed. It was envy. And um, I got recovered in that program, and I thought I was okay. Um, but, you see, that higher, that power said to me, you know, you, you, you're still eating. You've got to put the food down. Yeah, I'll help you, but you know I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to interfere. So it came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore me, me, to sane thinking. Well, if I stop gambling, you know, maybe I'll get the same results in in eating. See, that that's stinking thinking. That you know, because see, I wasn't powerless yet. I wasn't powerless, so I didn't really need a power. Yeah, I did and I didn't, but, um, you know, I had to put the food down. And, you know, it's it's just I found it intriguing that right after I identified the problem, when I came into the 12-step program, and step one, that I didn't have any control, that I didn't have any choice, that I didn't have a power, that I needed a power, Comes the simple solution, and that's what happened to me. You know, like I said, the two step two does not say that I have to believe in a god or this or whatever, but right at the beginning, because this is a process, the process is going to start as long as I know I have a problem, I know that I need a power, and it's not me. It's not my, who I married, the success that I had in life, because that did not take the obsession away from me. That was the insanity. None of those things, the worldly things, that was my purpose. And, you know, today my purpose in life is, is my higher power's purpose for me, to come to this program, to implement these steps and give away what I, the gift that I got. That's the purpose in life. It's not to get ahead. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's good. We're not saying not to, not to do those things, but I had the misuse. I misused my will. That was the problem. And today I become humble that, you know, that it's not my success, that it's my higher power success. I'm teachable and I'm willing, um, more tolerant than I have been, and I am spiritual. I'm not religious. Um, Yeah, I have gone back to my religious uh, uh, teaching, but I have a different idea, not my parents' idea, not the nun's idea of what my higher power should be. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very
0: much, Janice M. I now welcome Larry K. to the line.
8: Thanks, Leah.
9: Larry K. from Chicago. I'm going to be reading um, the bottom of page 29. You know for those of you that think that Leia is sweet, the passionate full of nearly thirty years of wisdom, don't you know when she is, when she asked me to do this, she's not. she's diabolical when she asked me to uh, read this this last paragraph here and sharing it so uh now we come to another kind of problem, the intellectually self-sufficient man or w- woman. to these many a a s can say, yes, we were like you, far too smart for our own good. We love to have people call us precocious. We used our education to blow ourselves up into prideful balloons, though we were careful to hide this from others. Secretly, we felt we could float above the rest of the folks on our brain power alone. Scientific progress told us there was nothing man couldn't do. Knowledge was all powerful. Intellect could conquer nature. Since we were brighter than most folks, so we thought, the, spo- the spoils of victory would be ours for the thinking. The God of intellect displaced the God of our fathers. But again, John Barleycorn had other ideas. We who had won so handsomely in a walk turned into all-time losers. We saw, we saw that we had to reconsider or die. We found many in AA who once thought as we did. They helped us to get down to our right size. But their example, uh, they showed us that humility by example, they showed us that humility and intellect could be compatible, provided we placed humility first. When we began to do that, we received the gift of faith, a faith which works. This faith is for you too. So, um, you know, I, I yeah, I, I see myself um, in this paragraph. And, uh, you know, the program teaches us that self-confidence, you know, self-sufficiency was no good whatever. In fact, it was a total liability. And, indeed, that was the case for me. I mean, here, here's a visual for you on a, on a Sunday morning. You know, with all my self-proclaimed intelligence and proficiency in life, there I was, you know, twice divorced, uh, shades drawn, you know, eating a, a, you know, a, a, basically a bucket of ice cream in my underwear. Not a pretty sight. Um, you see, you know, I had been raised to be so, a self-sufficient person. You know, and as a single parent, my mom, you know, taught my brothers and I how to make our own meals, you know, wash our own clothes, look after each other. And, uh, you know, so we learned early on. I know she says today, you know, that she always had a fear. Maybe some of the moms online could could relate to this. She had a fear that she wouldn't, you know, that she wouldn't survive somehow. And then she would be, you know, these boys wouldn't know how to take care of themselves. So she set out to make us as independent and self-sufficient, as possible, often with a long, long leash, you know, just enough to hang ourselves at times, right? And, um, and I'm the youngest of the three boys, um, you know, and, you know, the thing, the thing is about this, this uh, in, in, the, in the chapter, more about alcoholism, we learn that many people who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they're in that class. And so here's what self-sufficiency and never-ending analysis and the debate paralysis led to for me it says by every form of self-deception and experimentation they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule therefore non-alcoholic see i was like you know the oncologist diagnosed with stage 4 cancer who somehow allows her ego to get in the way of proper treatment you know she may let denial self-deception and rationalization uh, get in the way of acceptance that she needs real help. She can't save herself. She cannot treat herself. Perhaps she needs a power greater than herself, and that's where I was. You know, so there I was, a, a, a practicing clinical psychologist, you know, devoted to the, the diagnosis and treatment of various disorders, and, and I spent many years in training to help people. You know, I, I let, let me tell you just how important I, I was or I thought I was. I even had the most up-to-date uh, training in evidence-based treatment of addiction. Can you imagine? It makes me smile and laugh still. Um, you know, uh, including eating disorders. You know, I could administer tests and assessments that could help diagnose your condition. And then through therapeutic treatment, we could address your problem, you know, cognitive, cognitive behavioral, psychodynamic, all the, all the excellent ways to attempt to uh, treat various conditions. Which, incidentally, the best research has found to be effective, you know, for a wide range of conditions. And, you know, the tremendous irony, hopefully you can see in me sharing this, is, so here I was full of synthetic knowledge, trained at a at a university, supported by a, a professional infrastructure that said, I had arrived. Remember when Bill said that? Well, that's, yeah, I could relate to that. And then when I came to OA and learned of the bedevilments and we agnostics, right, I could no longer deny that I had a spiritual malady. You know, uh, I was having trouble with personal relationships. Uh, that's an understatement. Couldn't control my emotional nature. Uh, yeah, there was a few broken windshields by my fist. I was a prey to misery and depression. Yeah, panic attacks, anxiety disorder. Couldn't make a living. I had moved around a few jobs for sure, had a feeling of uselessness, was full of fear, we were unhappy, and we couldn't seem to be a real help to others. That's, you know, that's, that's how I got here. I had a spiritual malady. See, food wasn't my problem. Food was my solution. Um, and, you know, the, there's nothing inherently wrong with intellect. I mean, after all, it's God-given. But when our intellect becomes a barrier to change, an impediment to open-mindedness as it was for me, you know, a, a device that serves to keep us stuck, you know, it, it becomes more than simply misguided precociousness. Our intelligence, as marshaled by our will, will that fact kill us as it did, almost did me because we will stay stuck in the quicksand of this disease as I did. And as the rope was thrown to me, I kick it away. I mean, even, even others, even Einstein said, the true measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Um, George Bernard Shaw said, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. See, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And it was through my deep vulnerability that my higher power began to slowly but surely seep through this very thick ego-driven consciousness of mine in fact, you know, it proved vulnerability was the only true authentic state because being vulnerable meant being open. You know, as we learned in the big book, this disease beat many of us into a state of reasonable. Being open to the wounds of life also means, you know, being open to the beauty. You know, I don't, you know, I could no longer mask or deny my vulnerability. It was, it, it proved to be my greatest asset as I came to believe you know, quaking and shaking in my boots. <laughs> uh, the, the goodness is coming to you, though, by working this practical program of action I've learned through experience. is it, it comes in the form of people, situations, and circumstances that can only come to you when you're vulnerable, open to change, open as the dying can be. And, uh, you know, it says on, I'll wrap up, it says in We Agnostic Sense page 50, Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. You know, you're hearing some of them on the line today. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. And I can relate to this part in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources. They found a new power, peace, and happiness, and a sense of direction flowed into that. See, but here's the kicker. There's always a kicker, right? This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. I just worked the steps as precisely laid out in the big book. And then through that process, I was brought into alignment with my higher power. I came to believe. I I didn't believe already that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I came to believe all I had to do was chop my wood, carry my buckets of water. That's all I needed to do. And I thought it was complex. It was not. It happened very rapidly and quite simply. But I had to be willing to go through a period of uncomfortability. And for that, addicts are often not willing to do that. But if you will, you'll get, you want what I, what I have, others have, you get exactly what's promised if you follow the steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so
0: much, Larry Kay. I now welcome Chelsea H.
3: Good morning, visionaries. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. I'm reading on page 30, that first paragraph. Another crowd of AA says, we were plumb disgusted with religion and all its works. The Bible, we said, was full of nonsense. We could cite it chapter and verse, and we couldn't see the beautitudes for the begets. In spots, its morality was impossibly good. In others, it seemed impossibly bad. But it was the morality of the religionists themselves that really got us down We gloated over the hypocrisy, bigotry, and crushing self-righteousness that clung to so many believers, even in their Sunday best. How we loved to shout the damaging fact that millions of the good men of religion were still killing one another off in the name of God. This all meant, of course, that we had substituted negative for positive thinking. After we came to AA we had to recognize that this trait had had been an ego-feeding proposition. In belaboring the sins of some religious people, we could feel superior to all of them. Moreover, we could avoid looking at some of our own shortcomings. Self-righteousness, the very thing that we had contemptuously condemned in others, was our own besetting evil. This phony form of respectability was our undoing so far as faith was concerned. But finally, driven to AA, we learned better. The self-righteousness, for me, has, uh, was, before I walked through this process, something that was riddled in me through and through. Because I was plumb disgusted with religion, and the truth of the matter is I had been oversaturated of what I thought was oversaturation of religion. I am agnostic now. But I didn't start out that way. I was evangelical Christian, um, in fact, to the far, far spectrum of it, to where we were called holy and sanctified. And there were a number of elements involved with that, all surrounded around the Bible. And I did think the Bible was full of nonsense at a certain point. In my younger years, just in church, my whole thing was um, loving to be in the choir. That was my thing. And as I continue to grow in effectiveness and understanding, of what my whole spirituality is going to be and look like, I'm finding out that the times that I was really connected to the mystery, whatever that may be, that the totality of it all, was when I was singing. Whether it was in church, whether it was anywhere, for some some reason that particular connection was open. But throughout the years, pomp, calamity, and my own ego being stroked, excuse me, by thinking that I was holier than thou, led me to a different path. And whatever it was, I got blocked off from the mystery. And so coming into the rooms, I didn't have any reference point. And coming out of the religious um, spectrum that I was in, you didn't question it. You didn't question it. So getting self-righteous for me beget restlessness, irritability, and discontentment because I was between a rock and a hard place. And like the book talks about, resentment is the number one offender. And I continued to stay in that negative area with these resentments. So the only solution I had was to binge and drink too, because eating and drinking went hand in hand. Huge meals on Sundays included several types of liquor. The more you eat, the more you can drink. That was the philosophy. So food was my solution. And self-righteousness was the way that I lived. So self-righteousness is an um, adjective, and it truly described my behavior, being smug, intolerant, a total exaggeration of my own awareness, and it talks about that in the doctor's opinion, about not being able to separate the true from the false, just running around asleep thinking that I was awake, disparaging other people's motives when my own motives were more often than not good. They were not good at all. Because I wanted what I wanted, and I was self-seeking and self-righteous. I was better than others. Showing contempt for the very pastors and the members of the church because the way that they lived was, in my uh, opinion, not correct. And it talks about that on page 50 in the big book. It says, we talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. And for me, I could spend hours upon hours debating that concept of whether or not I was given the spiritual the fair side and continuing to gloat over hypocrisy and the the good men of religion still killing each other off. I could spend... Hours of industrial strength binging and eating and purging and all manners of things, trying to get through that the why of that or the what of that. Is that so? Why do they still keep killing each other off? Well, let me eat something and try to figure it out. Just unabashed contempt for the very religion that I was raised in and born in. But again, I was taught not to question anything. And for the longest time, my thinking was just mired in negative thoughts. Nothing could please me. Because I was so stuck and mired in the reason. I lived by reason at some point. And I got stuck on the bridge of reason that it talks about in the big book, too. I couldn't see the outline of the shore of faith because I was so mired in the muck of me that I was blocked off from any type of vision of anything. I couldn't see anything, and I was stuck with oncoming food traffic about to mow me down again. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get unstuck. There were times that I was able to loosen it a little and stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. And I became baffled and irritated, restless, discontented, and here come my begats, my negative thinking, my eating, my binging, my purging. So as I continued on, it says um, that after we came to AA, we had to recognize. We had to wake up. We had to come to some kind of understanding. And for me, that looked like... Finally, understanding that, A, I wasn't God. I had to really get clear with that, and that was part of my being able to move forward in this process. I did not know. I was without knowledge. I didn't know. I I felt it couldn't be proved that there was a God. But the one thing I had clarity on, it was not me. And once I was able to get some clarity on that, I came to. I came to, and I came to understand by um, being able to lay aside prejudice, like it talks about in the book, and to uh, be willing, to be willing to at least move forward with the rest of the process, knowing that I wasn't God and that my dilemma was lack of power. So if I looked at it, if I was going to use reason, I could look at it as lack of power. That was my dilemma. I had to find a power, and it had to be greater than myself. I had to get some kind of relationship with power. There was no ducking it at this point. I didn't have to know what it was. It didn't have to be any, you know, sharp edges around it. It didn't have to be clearly defined. But it wasn't me, because my A game The best I could do got me on the phone with you guys this morning talking about food and binging and purging and and not being able to be sane around food. And as a result, all the rest of my life getting messed up. So that was my A-game. So I accepted the fact that I wasn't God, and I didn't spend time any more time trying to figure out who was or what was or if it was. And what it goes on to tell me here is that we learned It talks about how we learned, at the end of the day, we learned better. It says, finally, driven to AA, we learned better. And throughout the book, it talks a lot about learning. From the very forward, in the forward to the second edition, it says from uh, his doctor, the broker, Bill W. had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Page 30, more about alcoholism. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves. Page 44, the very beginning of this chapter. In the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. That's our ism. Page 49, we learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given them purpose to, and directions to millions. So who the hell am I to say that there's nothing worthwhile in that? And then another one I'll quote is Dr. Bob's Nightmare on page 180. I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learned. So for me, this information, again, as I continue to grow in effectiveness and understanding, I'm grateful for on page 47, at the uh, last paragraph at the bottom there, it says, so it was comforting to learn that we could commence on a simpler level, on a simpler level. I I read another uh, essay by Bill uh, W., and he talks about the phrase, God as we understood him, God as we understand him. And he says it's perhaps the most important expression found in our whole AA vocabulary. And then he speaks about how a higher power and a power greater than ourselves, it says, for all who deny or seriously doubt a deity, these frame an open door over whose threshold the unbeliever can take his first easy step into the reality hitherto unknown to him, the realm of faith. And I'm grateful for that because I thought that faith and doubt had to live separately. I thought that faith and doubt was something that um, had to go on its own path. But I'm learning as I continue to grow in my spirituality and knowing what my beliefs and my truths are, is that they're not mutually exclusive. And one of the main things that I'm really starting to see is that the best activity I can do when I'm restless, irritable, or discontented because things are not going my way, and my old mechanism was to turn to food, Now I have a skill set by walking through these processes and living by the principles underneath all the steps that I can sit still. That's the biggest activity I could do is just be still. Doing nothing turns out to be the best activity I can do to connect with the mystery, to the power. Lack of power is my dilemma. So I'm really learning and growing and understanding, and the book is my roadmap. It's my... um, it's everything to me. Every time there's an issue, I can find out in here, what am I supposed to do? And it's a textbook, so I never stop learning. And then living the experiences, having them, lets me know. That's how I know I actually have the experiences. So, for example, now I'm living with a situation where I'm doing hospice care for a parent. I'm being graced by whatever it is at the totality of it all to experience door number one and door number two. I'm living one day at a time in the realm of the spirit, provided I ante up and kick in every day. And I'm also witnessing alcoholism, a parent dying of alcoholism, the destruction of alcoholism. So for me now, it's not so much what I say on my knees. It's what I do on my feet. That, to me, is my relationship with power in action. So thanks for letting me share, and I pass.
0: Thank you very much, Chelsea H. I now welcome Deb W. Hi, this is Deb W., Recovered Compulsive
10: Eater in Oklahoma. I'm reading page 31, the first two paragraphs. As psychiatrists have often observed, defiance is the outstanding characteristic of many an alcoholic. So it's not strange that lots of us have had our day at defying God himself. Sometimes it's because God has not delivered us the good things of life which we specified as a greedy child makes an impossible list for Santa Claus. More often, though, we had met up with some major calamity and to our way of thinking lost out because God deserted us. The girl we wanted to marry had other notions. We prayed God that she change her mind, but she didn't. We prayed for healthy children and were presented with sick ones or none at all. We prayed for promotions at business, and none came. Loved ones upon whom we heartily depended were taken from us by so-called acts of God. Then we became drunkards and asked God to stop that, but nothing happened. This was the unkindest cut of all. Damn this faith business, we said. When we encountered AA, the fallacy of our defiance was revealed. At no time had we asked what God's will was for us. Instead, we had been telling him what it ought to be. No man we saw could believe in God and defy him too. Belief meant reliance, not defiance. And A, we saw the fruits of this belief men and women spared from alcohol's final catastrophe. We saw them meet and transcend their pains and trials. We saw them calmly accept impossible situations, seeking neither to run nor recriminate. This was not only faith. It was faith that worked under all conditions. We soon concluded that whatever price in humility we must pay, we would pay. And, you know, the flavor of defiance is what I get out of these two paragraphs. And when I think of defiance, it just brings me back to my history, my story, And so what my experience is, is even though I believed in the God of my understanding, and that was the God I understood as a child, I felt much discontent where religious practices and people in the church were concerned. People of importance promised to be a certain moral character. And the more I was around them, I saw they were not. They disappointed me. I looked up to them, and I felt either less than or not a part of them. The Bible and the God they presented to me required obedience, and all I seemed to be able to identify with were sins I often found myself guilty of, never able to continue being obedient to my parents, always pointing out to myself how I failed God, my parents, and others. I always wound up With a negative outlook of myself, whenever I considered God, experiences with God pointed more to why I couldn't have him in my life. I didn't measure up rather than why I needed him in my life or why God would want to be in my life. I shied away from the idea of God. I ignored the need and pretended what I had was enough. I would hear personal relationship with God, never knowing what that really meant. I always thought having God meant I had to sacrifice something I wanted to keep in my control. If I were fully conceived to a life, a God life, I no longer would be in control and I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't know what it was I couldn't do, but life wouldn't be fun. Another reason for defiance was I felt if I got too close to God, I would die. These valleys of the shadow of death, as the Bible calls them, fear, kept me at a distance from giving the God concept a chance until something, the food addiction, forced me through the process of the steps to give the God idea a totally different viewing. It was no longer about a religious definition, religious rituals, biblical instructions. It became about saving my life from an addiction that controlled my ability to function This addiction was sucking all the life from me. The addiction overcame any control I thought I had over what I wanted to put in my mouth or not, over the ability to pick and choose food, how much, when I had it. And then this power pulled any uh, and all my attention from life, family, God. It was controlling and destroying my health. The desire for good things in life, my character, it made a liar out of me, caused me to miss important appointments, functioning poorly on my job, being deceitful toward others, isolating, having a fear of facing people in life, making poor choices for relationships, having no self-esteem. I was determined to have the food because it made me feel like I was in control. Nobody bothered me about it. I could hide how much I was having. It temporarily covered up any pain. The food got more demanding and edged out my will to eat what I knew was a reasonable amount. The rebellious me, defiant, stepped over the logical, reasonable me because I couldn't stand up all alone without a crutch. To life as it was, an alcoholic father who left home, a mother who tried to keep bill collectors at bay, me, a kid who tried to keep a job, they would help bring enough money into the household to keep food on the table and lights on. Then came puberty. Boys attracted to me. The number of ones who ignored me. I wanted them. They didn't want me. A young pregnancy with a love child, no father, because at least I had enough sense to know that father was no good. Raped shortly after that with a child as the result of a rape. A portion not long after that. Damaged goods is how I felt. That Debbie then, life happening to me. I didn't deserve any better than a man who married me but was just as broken as I was. The pain and the hurt was so deep. What God would want a girl like me? By then the food was totally out of control, the weight higher than ever. All these ghosts of my past that carried with me, stories that completed the picture of the life I was still trying to suit up and show up for. In OA, I had to redefine the God I knew, who condemned me for not being strong enough to not find myself in these messes, for not having the wherewithal to do life better than this. Working the steps, I found a God who didn't blame me for my mistakes, a God that once I admitted all my wrongs and harms, not only done to others, but to myself. I was able to discover God a friend, a real being that I already have deep within, an all-powerful living being who is not bound by religious barriers, who did do for me what I could never have been able to do for myself, but helped me to let me off the hook. I no longer had to carry the guilt that made me run to the food. I no longer had to fight the mental obsession on me every morning after the first bite of anything, it didn't even have to be my binge food. I woke up with the obsession. I went to bed with the obsession. And the only thing that eased the obsession before God in the steps was giving in to the binge food. So I suggest to the newcomer just to have the faith on me, my story, our stories. You can use me, my story as a stepping stone to just trying the program. I was on relapse before, so even to the
4: retreat
10: if I can have a reprieve through working the complete steps, finding the power greater than me, anybody can. I promise you it works. It's a simple plan
0: for a simple person, me, and hopefully you. Thank you for letting me share in the past. Thank you very much, Deb W. I now
7: welcome DeVora S. Hi, this is DeVoa S. in New Jersey, recovered. I'm coming off of Overeater.
11: Thank you, God. Now, read on the bottom of page 31, about a se- uh, last sentence. Now, let's take the guy full of faith, but still reeking up alcohol. He believes he is, a de- he is devout. His religious observances is scrupulous. He's sure he still still believes in God, but suspects that God doesn't believe in him. He takes pledges and more pledges. Following each, he not only drinks again, but acts worse than the last time. Valiantly, he tries to fight alcohol, imploring God's help, but the help doesn't come. What, then, can be the matter? To clergymen, doctors, friends, and families, the alcoholic who means well and tries hard is a heartbreaking riddle. Riddle. To most AAs, he is not. There are too many of us who have been just like him and have found the riddle's answer. This answer has to do with the quality of faith rather than its quantity. This has been our blind spot. We supposed we had humility when really we hadn't. We supposed we had been serious about religious practices when upon an honest appraisal, we found it had been only superficial or going to the other extreme. We had wallowed in emotionalism and had mistaken it for true religious feeling. In both cases, we had been asking something for nothing. The fact was, we really hadn't cleaned house, so that the grace of God could enter us and expel the obsession. In no deeper, meaningful sense, had we ever taken stock of ourselves, made amends to those we had harmed, or freely given to another human being without demand for reward. We had not even prayed rightly. We had always said, grant me my wishes instead of thy will be done. The love of God, a man we understood, not at all. Therefore we remained self-deceived and so incapable of receiving enough grace to restore us to sanity. Okay, Um, so... these paragraphs talk to me um just to give you a little background um I grew up in New York City in the Bronx actually and I grew up with a family that a religious family and it was not uncommon to hear um you know this was God's will if something happened that was good you know we say we, uh, we heard in our family there was an expression that said bashet it was bashet it was meant to happen or if there was a tragedy, my father passed away. He was very young. It was a shared thing. That was God's will. It was happening. That was that was meant to be. And that's how it was grow, brought to be grown up. That's how I was brought up. Um, and I never, I was I was heavy. I was a young girl, and I grew into a teenager. And I always was fighting uh, this disease, and I could never get it. In control, And I honestly, with all the schooling that I had, um, religious school, um, you know, I, I was, I never thought of, of asking for God's help. I practiced these, the traditions of the, of the, of the religion. I, I went to, I went to, uh, you know, uh, services, and I did the holidays according to how I'm supposed to do it. I dressed the way I'm supposed to dress as a religious woman, but I never, in all of the years, I never thought that God can help me with this. God was there for the big things in life um, and for the happier times. Like, it was all, you know, that's where I was, that's, that's, that's what I had learned. It was never a personal God to me, and I had to learn to develop that. And, um, you know, coming into program, I'm in program uh, 15 years. I've been abstinent all that time, and I lost 150 pounds. I came in; I was 280 pounds, and you know, I was really desperate. I I always say that if my sponsor would have said to me to eat hay um, three times a day, I would do it and say, where do I buy it? Um, so I was willing to go to any lengths to work this, but. You know, I, I when it came to came to believe when, when I saw the the poster that said came to believe of a power greater than myself, I said to myself, well, that's easy. I have a God. I already believe, right? But I had to get honest and say to my and and really like, did I really really believe? Did I did I put my whole heart and soul, or was I still trying to control, still trying to run everybody's lives and not giving it over? And I realized when I was abstinent, an infant body, for many years, it must be like 10 years, um, that I had this realization that I don't feel this happiness. I don't feel this happy, joyous, and free what the book talks about. I'm still very, you know, I'm still having these bedelments, like someone mentioned. Um, and I'm still trying to control the situation. And that's when I realized, someone had pointed out to me, maybe you need to go through the steps as it's laid out in the book. Not to say that I didn't go through different ways, but I didn't do a page by page with a sponsor the way it's, the way I know of today. And um, and that's when I just saw that I needed to regain my sanity. I believe the sanity was within me all the time. The power was there. The sanity was there. But I had to look for it. I had to develop it. And and for me it was it was just constantly reminding myself i'm not running the show i had to believe that whatever goes on in my life deep down it is it is god's will it's not an entitlement i'm not entitled to it It's a gift, and I have to nurture it, and I can't just assume that if I come up with a list of things that God is going to give, you know, that I want from God, you know, a whole, like it says in the previous paragraph, a Santa Claus list, oh, God's immediately going to give it to me because I do this and this and this for him. Uh Uh-uh. It doesn't work like that. I can't come to God with all my requests and think that God's just going to do it for me. I have to work at it. I have to acknowledge his presence and to know and to turn and to see that whatever happens in my life it's because that's the way it's supposed to be. And I have no control over it, and I could still say today when things are not going the way I want it to go, okay, this is the way it's meant to be. It's not just lip service. I could truly see how God is pointing me in the in the direction. Um, and he has my back. God has my back in every situation. Um, And, you know, I don't say today, grant me my wishes. I do say that I will be done. And um, just to end off with this, I I just want to, you know, in in one of these books that I read, Daily Reflections, on page 23, it says an unexpected resource, and it's referring to the pages in the back. People mentioned that, page 56. 567. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. And it continues, and it writes, From my first day in AA, as I struggled for sobriety, I found hope in these words from our founders. I often pondered the resource. The resource. How, I asked myself, can I find the power within myself since I'm so powerless? And in time, as found as promised, it came to me. I always had the choice between goodness and evil, between unselfishness and selfishness, between serenity and fear. That power greater than myself is an original gift that I did not recognize until I achieved daily sobriety through living A.A.'s 12 Steps. And that's That's my story, you know how was I going to find that inner peace and it was and here it's telling me that I always had it. I always had the choices, but I had to find it. I had to go digging deep within myself to develop it and come out and each day I'm sorry, I don't know who that was <clears throat> and e- <clears throat> excuse me, and each day, I need to take these steps and <clears throat> to live in that frame of mind of thy will be done. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Devorah S. And I now welcome our final speaker for this morning, Sharon R.S. Good,
12: good morning. Good morning, Leah. Uh, it's so good to be on the line. Uh, that is not my phone making the noise, by the way. Reading from the bottom of page 32 to the end of the chapter. Uh, And this is Karen R S and I am a recovered compulsive over Few indeed are the practicing alcoholics who have any idea how irrational they are or seeing their irrationality can bear to face it. Some will be willing to term themselves problem drinkers, but cannot endure the suggestion that they are, in fact, mentally ill. They are abated in this blindness by a world which does not understand the difference between sane drinking and alcoholism. Sanity is defined as soundness of mind. Yet no alcoholic soberly analyzing his destructive behavior, whether the destruction fell on the dining room furniture or on his own moral fiber, can claim soundness of mind for himself. Therefore, step two is the rallying point for all of us. Whether agnostic, atheist, or former believer, we can stand together on this step. True humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA meeting is an assurance that God will Restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. And uh, this reading, uh, starting from the very beginning, it says, few indeed are the practicing alcoholics uh, who have any idea how irrational they are. I always, I, uh, I find myself on page 30. This is who I was. Uh, I, I did everything I could to try to be normal, to try to eat normal. But I want you to know that um, eating a dairy, when you know it's going to cause asthma and send you to the emergency room, is not normal and it's not sane. Uh, eating, Thinking that a great diet is uh, French bread and wine, for, for many, many days, and that's all you eat because, of course, the French do it and they don't have a weight problem, and they're pretty smart people. Uh, that's not normal and that's not sane. Eating wheat when it causes arthritic symptoms and walking uh, uh, like an, what they call, being called an old lady when you're in your 20s because you're bloated and your joints are aching, that's not sane. Yet when I came to the room, I, I grappled with this word, sanity. Are you saying I'm insane? I just thought I, I wanted to scratch that out. But until we can admit, uh, like it says on page 30, until we can admit and smash this idea that at some point, some way, we're going to be uh, like normal people, uh, we can't recover until we can admit the insanity of how we functioned with food. We cannot recover, and I could not recover until I accepted the um, the uh, the persistent illusion that I lived in—that somehow, some way, I am going to solve all of my problems. Uh, when we look. The other thing it says here, that on seeing our re- irrationality can bear to face it. So even when we see our irrationality, this think, makes me think of Bill in his story on page one, where he's at Winchester, Winchester Cathedral, and he uh, goes uh, by, for some reason, he, his eye catches this doggerel on the old tombstone, and here lies the Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is never forgot whether he died by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. So he was already a drinker. He already knew that he had a problem. He had a warning that he could be like that guy who died. But yet he could not stop, would not stop. He did not want to stop. Because he could not see a way out um, I and and going further in this chapter it it talks about we have a type of a mental illness, and we don 't want to accept it and surely, but you can listen to my story and you can hear the mental illness, the insanity in it, yet I myself could not see it. I want to. Um, Turn to page eighty-one, and I in this very book, this twelve and twelve, and I know it's ahead, but it's very. There's something very interesting that has that struck me, that fits into what we're reading here today. It says that um, in many instances, down at the bottom of page seventy-nine, actually, of this twelve and twelve. In many instances, we find that though the harm done others has not been great, the emotional harm we have done ourselves has very deep, sometimes quite forgotten, damaging emotional conflicts persist below the level of consciousness. At the time of these occurrences, they may actually have given our emotions violent twists which have since discolored our personalities and altered our lives for the worse. So here we have these subconscious issues and problems that um, we don't even know about. And, and this is, hinders our ability to recover. Uh, we do need a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, and, and that is a spiritual awakening. Um, and then, but it goes on here on page 80. While the purpose of making restitution to others is paramount, it is equally necessary that we extricate from an examination of our personal relations every bit of information about ourselves and our fundamental difficulties that we can. So we have to look beneath the surface. We cannot work this program superficially. We've got to dive deep, and we've got to understand what's beneath the core. We don't want to do it alone. We need each other. We must have a higher power that helps direct us and leads us away from our own uh, pain and, and, and suffering so that we can get free. Um, and it's since defective relations with other human beings, have nearly always been the immediate cause of our woes, our inability to relate and deal with people, perhaps because of these unconscious problems that occurred. For me, my mother had a nervous breakdown right after I was born, and she had a two-year-old. She was away from home. Her husband was always working, and she was alone. And who knows what I went through as a little baby with a mother who was mentally ill and uh, who had no one else that she could have relied upon. I could only go there with your help to see myself and to see my own uh, suffering and pain that I have gone through throughout my life and not knowing the source of it. But by the grace of God, I now can see and I can heal and, and uh, from, from the pain. Uh, no field of investigation could yield more satisfying and valuable rewards in this one, calm, thoughtful reflection upon personal relations can deepen our insight. We can go far beyond those things which were superficially wrong with us to see those flaws which were basic, flaws which sometimes were responsible for the whole pattern of our lives. Thoroughness we have found will pay and pay handsomely. So what we find is that We can recover, but we need this higher power. We need each other. Um, Step two uh, is uh, uh, this belief that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity is the rallying point, it says here in the reading. It is the cement that binds us together. It's our common solution, a higher power that can restore us to sanity. It doesn't matter whether we're agnostic, atheist, former believer, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, or other, none of the above. We stand together in faith that a higher power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. True humility, it says, is required. We, what is true humility? We accept that we need the help of a higher power. That's our humility. And that we need our fellows. We are one among many. One among many. Um, I, we are part of the herd. We join the herd of those who have recovered and those who are recovering using the 12 steps. Uh, on page 569 of the big book, Dr. Foster Kennedy says, AA calls on the two greatest reservoirs of power known to man, religion religion. And that instinct for association with one fellow, the herd instinct. The key to becoming part of the herd is accepting a personal higher power that will restore us to sanity, and bring, and and uh, bring, uh, and we bring an open mind and a willingness to become rightly related to our higher power. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, you, Sharon R.S., and thank you to all the speakers this morning for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us as it relates to Step 2. May this presentation from many who have recovered serve as hope, inspiration, and assurance to the newcomers that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. And I'm now going to transition the meeting into a question and answer period. If you have any questions related to step two, questions only, please, you can press star one to unmute and pose your question.
13: It's Mary A. I have a question.
0: Mary A. One moment, please. Anyone else at this time?
7: Star one to unmute.
14: Mary A., the floor is all yours. Go ahead, please. Thank you so much, and thank you to all of
13: the speakers.
14: I have been so
13: inspired. It has just been a wonderful morning. I don't know if um, Larry and Scott are on, if they would like to answer this question. Um, I was thinking of them. My question is, you know, um, I always believed in God. It was when I was 18 that I really really met God and had tremendous experiences. So for 45 years, I've had spiritual experiences my whole life in every area but the food. And clearly, God said to me just last week when I was in the kitchen, I felt interior in my heart. He said, you know, I brought you to the rooms so that you would have your healing in the food. And you don't realize, but you're ashamed of that. And that's why A couple of years ago when I went out, I was so defiant and I only realized that as that wonderful woman shared about defiance this morning. My question is, a few weeks ago, Harlan was talking a thing that I had never really heard. And he said that step two, he believed, and step ten were the two steps were the most underutilized. So bells went off when I heard that, and I sought out what does utilize, I know that word, what does utilize mean? We're told that we utilize the program of AA so that we can get well in our addiction. And then I sought out to think of how do I really need this higher power? You know, I need the power to change all the areas that I still do compulsively, like, you know, I, I. Eat very quickly. I find I'm drinking all the time, and that is still compulsive. And so, I just wanted to put that out there. If um, if they might have some thoughts about underutilizing this step that we're sharing on this morning. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mary, Scott, Larry. Yeah. Scott, hey, go, go ahead.
7: Oh,
4: hey. Uh, thank you so much. For the... Oh, sorry about uh, that. Thank you so much for the question. I um. My, my experience, whenever somebody's having a step four issue, like, like not an issue, but just can't go, it's saying that they're, they're not getting through it, they're having trouble getting through it. And this isn't one of my sponsors, because if it's one of my sponsors, I, I would have worked them to the point where they're, they're running to do step four. But when somebody comes up to me in a meeting or if, if I speak on one of these events, I, I, I always tell them, and a lot of people say it's a step three issue, it's a step three issue. I, I turn around, I usually say it's a step two issue. Because I look at step three as a very um, quick step. It's like one of those uh, launching points where you're actually taking action by just realizing that, that you're not it and that that something else is it. And boom, you go and do the further work. But step two is where really the rubber hits the road in the sense that we really need to craft the idea of a higher power early on. Um, so uh, there's a lot of tools. There's Help Wanted ads. Um, I, I ask people to put together a 30-second commercial and talk about their idea of God. Sell me on your idea of God. I don't. If it's a religious thing, that's great. Um, I came from a religious background, or at least a religious school, and had a lot of religious upbringing. And I ran away from that and just was scared, scared to death, uh, as I said earlier, when I shared. So... Really looking at the idea of step two again with belief, believing that a we we are insane when it comes to compulsive eating, and the other part of the belief is of course that that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I realize I don't have a punitive God anymore, and I really you know again needed to just close my eyes and just listen to other people, and and I imagine if it works for you and you and you and you and you, and you then it's but it's going to work for me. Because I'm just as worthy as anybody else, and it took a little while because I never thought I was worthy of anything um, when I came into program. So that's that's really what I was thinking when you when you shared.
0: Thank you very much, Scott Kay. Larry, would you like to respond as well?
9: Sure, I'll I'll, I'll respond briefly. I, I don't know that you know that I that I have anything more to add than any of the people that talked you know today, um, other than to say that. Um, you know, I had to, step two, were confronted with uh, what, our, what our problem is, which was lack of power. That was our problem. You know, we had to find a power which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And it says, obviously, but where and how are we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. You know, and if we look at, the, you know, why, why this book was written, was it to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Um, I don't believe in any techniques or harder working of the tools, Um, none of that stuff. That's all, to me, none of that worked. I I, I, I did all those things, and I was vociferous in how I read this book, and that was just more self-will and ego, yet I knew that I was still stuck with the obsession. The obsession was alive and well. And only by working this practical program of action, working these steps, as laid out in the big book, did I, uh, you know, uh, uh, I did not bring about my own spiritual awakening. I did not, I came to believe as the result of working these steps. And uh, so, like I said, I, I don't believe in any of the techniques, but when we hear about step two, step 10, step 10 tells me precisely what to do. When dishonesty, fear, resentment, self-seeking uh, motives, when those behaviors come up, tells me what to do. And it gives me four precise things to do. And I do those things. So I, I quit the debating society, all those things. And what I would suggest is there are no techniques. There are no, you know, workarounds. There are no, It's just working the steps with humility and watch what happens and what happened to me was I had been brought into alignment with the higher power of my own understanding, which was sufficient to arrest this disease, to to eradicate that obsession of the mind. It's gone from buckets of ice cream to neutrality. And then all the other obsessions you talk about was I rendered perfect. Of course not. I'm human. But they were, they were removed sufficient to change me in a way God changed me I did not change myself through technique I just worked these simple steps that brought me into alignment with God so that's all I have to share on that thanks
13: Oh, well, thank you both you've helped
9: thank
0: you both. thanks Larry thanks Mary A. for the question who's next with a question on step
7: two star one to unmute Jump in. The water is warm. The lady in...
5: Come on. Uh, I'm going to jump in.
0: Your name is...
5: This is Mary Lee in California. Mary, Mary Lee,
0: Lee, one moment, please, because I heard someone right before you. There was someone else speaking up. I didn't catch any name. Question to the lady in the Bronx. Uh, Debbie, I think her name was. I don't know her last initial. And your name is? Vanna. I'm sorry? Vanna. Okay. I be, Perhaps you were asking for Deb W. Does that sound right?
5: Devora. I'm was from the Bronx. Oh,
0: Devora. Okay. Yes, Devora, go right ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Vanna, go ahead with your question. Did you have a question, please? I
1: did, I did. Sarah, okay.
0: Her name is Devora S., and if you could please speak up, it'll make it easier to hear your question, please.
2: I think it's a telephone. Do you hear me now?
0: Yes, go ahead.
10: Okay, so um, I guess, um, you know, you speak to, um, I think, having a religious background, um, I'm not clear. Do you, do you still have that uh, religious background, um, and you've come to
2: find um, it's uh, about God's will? Uh, I guess I'm not clear fully. And you have me too.
11: Okay. So, yeah, hi, Bora. Um, and yeah, I still practice my religious or uh, the the stuff that goes with my religion, and, um, that I, I really have just, uh, come to believe even more, you know, I had an understanding then, but now today I'm really, uh, practicing it, it's really in my heart, so I'm not just doing whip service, it's, uh, it's not just on the outside, it's inside too, that's what I'm, I'm I, I'd like, I have wanted to bring out, does that answer your question?
0: Thank you, Janice, for the question.
2: Yes. yes, and if you could leave your number after, I'd appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Deborah, And Mary Lee, your question, please. Well, my question just got asked. Um,
2: I was wanting to know, how someone mentioned they had spiritual experiences, and it wasn't until they had the spiritual awakening and um, I think that I've had lots of spiritual experiences and very few spiritual awakenings. I just kind of wanted, um, I think Devorah answered it, but maybe if someone else has any insights on that, I, I seem to
1: be um, wavering right there in that, that
5: part.
0: Okay, well, thank you, Mary Lee, for the question.
5: Anyone want to respond? Leah, this is Becca W. I can yep. respond. Hi, Becca. Go ahead. Hi. Um, thank you for the question. Um, I I find that a lot of my sponsors are eager to have the spiritual awakening, and what I try to do with them is just um, sort of have them understand that this is now, and we're in the present. The past matters to a certain extent, and the future, of course, matters. But if we can hone in on Where we are right now, we will not be anticipating the spiritual awakening. Oftentimes, when we do that, it 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 kind of puts a barrier or a blockage against us just letting it naturally happen. When we tap into a higher power, um, that higher power, as we trust more and more and go through each step, it strengthens our relationship to the point of where we notice things. So, for example. When I drive to work every day and I am focused on getting to work because I don't want to be late, it it you know, I'm thinking in the future, I'm thinking, am I going to make it to my desk in time before the clock hits 830 or whatever time I get to work? But what I am passing by, if I am connecting with a higher power, is maybe on my way to work, I look to my right and there's, you know, a little girl on her bike and you can tell that it's her first time without training wheels. And the father is behind her and the father, you catch him in this beautiful moment where he doesn't know whether to reach out and save her or let her fall because that's part of life and she needs to learn how to pick herself up again. So it's like I could miss that little miracle, which could allow me to say, wow, God is with me. Thank you so much for that moment. But if I'm always thinking either in the past or the future, I'm never going to have those beautiful moments. I'm never going to realize them, recognize them, process them, take them in. Um, but with each one, that that's going to strengthen my relationship. And as if we're not having an immediate spiritual awakening compounded with those little tiny miracles and experiences that we have, and and even the accomplishments that we have within each step we're taking with our sponsor, that will most likely add up to that spiritual awakening that we're all looking for. Thanks for letting me share.
0: Thank you, Mary Lee, for the question and Becca for responding. Anyone else with a question this morning? Star one to unmute. This is Nancy G. Step two. Hi, Nancy. Go ahead.
14: Thank you. Um, thanks, everyone, for for the panel this morning. Um, I um, I wanted to ask. So, as recovered people, um, do you do you guys sometimes have any little doubts about yourself or your program? maybe even your higher power when the problem seems really huge. Larry, um, you and I talked a little bit about this, but it seems to me like every single morning I wake up and I'm working really hard the steps, you know, 10 and um, and my 10th step and, you know, giving in, um, giving away my fear. Um, but right now, um, as the, my problem looms nearer and nearer, I feel like, um, and I've had a lot of wonderful miracles happen to me. In fact, I consider myself um, newly recovered. But with this particular problem, um, you know, fear does get a hold of me. It's much better now ever since I've been doing Step 10s in the past, you know, few weeks. Much, much better. But I'm a little bit confused at this point. What does it mean to me now with this huge problem to give it away to to have it be God's will. I created some of this problem, and and therefore it's catching up to me, some of the wreckage of my past. But now it's just so scary. And what does it mean for this problem for me to give it away, to say it's God's will? I say it all the time, but I'm a little bit confused now about that with this particular problem. And I pass.
0: Thank you, Nancy, for the question.
7: Speakers? Anyone like to come forward? So this is
0: Devorah. Deb Deb W. and then Devorah. Go ahead, Deb.
10: Hi, um, this is Deb W. And um, I appreciate that question. Um, I think that... um, Living in today is what helps me uh, with the problems that don't seem to be solved, that don't seem to be um, a thing of the past. Um, It it seems that what I'm able to do through the steps and working with others is what I can do. If there's footwork that I can do, but my ultimate dependency is on God. You know, I do the footwork. I talk with my sponsor, I run the things through the steps, and the but the ultimate is the waiting and the watching on the power greater than me and the outcome i can i most everything I cannot fix I cannot make it happen, but I can show up and do what I can. I can keep myself in fit spiritual condition, I can desire to know more about my higher power and you know, uh, doing the footwork that I do. But there is so much that I have to let go, and that comes from just living in today. And uh, that that's what I have to share in my past.
0: Thank you, Deb W. And Zora S. like to offer a response?
11: Yeah, hi. Thank you so much. Um, so you know, I giggled when you mentioned, does any of you recovered people ever feel like, you know you're losing it, or I don't know what you said exactly, but you know I don't. I can only speak for myself. You know I'm just I, I'm I'm human. I, I'm not you know I'm not God. So um, I'm just another bozo on the bus, as they say. So, but each morning, you know, I have to renew my. My, uh, my resolve, I have to, you know, but my brain needs another washing, what can I say, I, I haven't, I haven't arrived, you know, each day is another new day and a new, another new learning, learning experience and I have to apply the steps in everything that I do, you know, I'm still powerless over the food and I still have to believe in a power greater than myself that could would restore me to sanity. And, you know, and I have to know that it's God, he could do for me, and it's not about me, it's surrendering to his will, and to know that I am not in charge, and when something comes up during the day, I pause, you know, the book talks about pausing, when I'm agitated or doubtful, and remember, I'm not running the show, God is. I don't have the answers, but to take that pause puts me in my place, and, um yeah, that constant reminder, and just like food is not an option, no matter what, I don't pick up the food, Whether what's whatever's going on out there, whether it's snowing, raining, you know, an illness, whatever it is, you know, I don't pick up the food, the same way, I need to always constantly turn to God, and that was a new, that was a psychic change for me, that was a new way of thinking for me, and that's what I constantly need to work on each day, so that I can stay in this state of mind and body. That's all I have. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Devorah. And, of course, thank you, Nancy, for the question. And thank you to all our panelists this morning, Joe M., Terry H., Scott K., Becca W., Sally A., Janice M., Larry K., Chelsea H., Deb W., Devora S., And Sharon RS, we thank you for your service this morning. All these panelists' contact information can be found on the member contact list. So we invite you to take a look at the member contact list and make personal contact with these panelists if you wish to do so. And I'm going to close the meeting from page 164 in our big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little.